When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer. <laughs> this might be your new favorite. You're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. To the highway in a brand new day. Gotta let it go. So far away. Gonna stake our claim. So come on. Flash to freedom. Welcome to Open the Voice Gate, episode 37. I am Mike Spears. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate or myself personally at Fuji Heya. That's Fuji with two eyes like Don Fuji. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, practically all of them that I can think of. Before we get into this episode, I kind of wanted to give a a heads up. I've been suffering a cold over the last few weeks, and it really crept up today when I was doing this interview and review with Case Low. So apologies for that. We had to cut this a little bit short, but I had a great time talking with Case as always about the end of 2018 and Dragon Gate, how things are looking going forward in 2019, and then just a general look around the Dragon System world, both in Japan and the United States. So this was a really fun episode to record. I always love having Case on, so I hope you all enjoy it. Joining me on this episode of Open the Voice Gate is Voices of Wrestling, Dragon Gate, Swiss Army Knife, I guess is a good way to put it. Case Low. Case, how are you? I'm good. I'm back again. Uh, I'm happy to be here. And I'm excited to talk about Dragon Gate once again. It's been a kind of a crazy four-day period for them to end this year, hasn't it? It's been exciting. I mean, it feels like we're at the end of the year, so I should be focusing on year-end review stuff, and I should be re-watching Match of the Years and gearing ahead towards 2019. But Dragon Gate always seems to deliver in the month of December, but this year especially, it's like it they've they've skipped past this reset period or at least they haven't i mean they're going towards the end of the month so they've just now kind of hit it of like they really ended the year with a bang you know final gate was a great show uh we'll talk about that we'll talk about the 1226 show at kobe sambo hall and both of these it was like oh my god like 
Dragon Gate is on fire right now. And, you know, we've been on this show. We've talked in private. You've seen it in my writing of I haven't been able to say that for basically two years. But it's it's really nice to be in a position where I'm looking forward to the next month. And I, I know what's going to happen, but it's Dragon Gate. So at the same time, they're going to throw me curveballs. Yeah, I've been thinking about what has been the best month in recent Dragon Gate history before this. And I feel like we have to go back to King of Gate 2016. So like that July month where they had a lot of really solid matches in the first year that they did the uh, block tournament. But there's been two great Corkins, Final Gate, which we'll get into, and then the Fan Appreciation Show, which usually is as light and fluffy of, of a show that drug it could get ended up being a really fun watch. So it's been, it, it's been very encouraging. I've, it, I feel like we're kind of out of the rough waters in a lot of way. Absolutely. And you know, the 2000 sing, 2016 period that you mentioned is arguably the peak of the company. I mean, that April, May, June, July, 2016 period of dragon gate um, as a fan and as someone that reviewed the product was as good of Dragon Gate as I've really ever seen. And this month, you know, this December hasn't hit those levels, but that's not an insult because every show that's made Tate this month has been super enjoyable. And then hopefully we don't get backtracked enough in the month of January because we still have some shows that have been filmed but not released yet from this month that uh, on paper look great. The Susumu Yokosuka 20th anniversary show in particular I'm excited to watch. But yeah, December 2018 was a, was a great month all the way around. Totally. It's it's good to feel optimistic for once. And this has been a real tough year. I know we've talked about it between the two of us. It's been May and June and and even even Kobe World for as okay of a show that was. It was very it was a dark time period. So, it's good that that I feel optimistic going into 2019. This year felt particularly long. Uh, 2017 was a year where I just didn't like Dragon Gate, really. Um, the beginning of the year, you had Kaito Ishida and Masato Yoshino get hurt. This was 2017. And then you thought you had this hope with Big R Shimizu and Takahiro Yamamura having that 20-minute draw at the February 2017 Corkin show. And when their futures didn't exactly pan out. I mean, they, you know, they're both in great positions now, one with Dragon Gate, one without, but we kind of thought they'd be skyrocketed into the main event. And when that didn't happen, I lost a lot of hope and my fandom really started to, to waver a little bit. In 2018, you look at just the calendar year of, you know, the January Corkin show has Zachary Wentz and Desmond Xavier and Flamita and Bandito and that match alone helped reignite some of my passion for the company. Cause I was like, all right, four foreigners kind of killing it. This is, this is nice to see. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, Shima leaves Shingo leaves, you know, Lindemann and T-Hawk are gone. This year has felt really long. There's been a lot of ups and downs, but since that Kobe world show, I think this company has been on fire and I think they're doing the right things. And I've had so many more positive things to say about the company in the past six months, than negative. And that's really refreshing for me. Yeah, and I feel like one of the major things that happened a lot faster than I suspected was how quickly the business rebounded. I mean, the second cork in this month was down, but I feel like that was more of a case that 
this is the month they run to Coworkins in Tokyo is not their primary market. So it was going to dip, but looking at the post dead or alive Coworkin and then the June one, and then how, how bad the numbers really were for Kobe world. And then seeing that they announced they sell out in Fukuoka and they also have been raising attendance in Kobe. So it's really encouraging to see that this happened as quickly as they did. I felt like the remainder of the year was going to be a lot of treading water, but they've really started to make some strong moves and it's already paid off. So it's, it's one of the things that match wise, everything is so much more exciting. And then business wise, I feel a lot more comfortable than I did this time in May. Well, business-wise, it's not even a story anymore, which is nice because we were really, you know, white-knuckling it, refreshing, trying to find attendance numbers for some of those May, June, July shows, worried about just how far that dip was going to reach. And now it's, you know, Final Gate has a great, uh, a good attendance number, I should say. I shouldn't have called it a great attendance number, even though they did supposedly sell out. Um, but it's not... It's not a news story. We're not going to be discussing, you know, the hard numbers as much because they've rebounded and they've stabilized to an extent, and it's great to see. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably a good way for us to segue into the Final Gate 2018 show review. It was on December 23rd, which means that it will stay up on DG Network for... We're recording on the 28th. It'll be up there until the morning of the 30th, so... If luckily, I think this will be out either tonight or tomorrow, you'll still have another day to check it out. It was at the Fukuoka Kokusai Center. The announced attendant was 3746, which as we talked about a little bit ago, that it was announced as a sellout. But it's worth noting that there weren't as many seats on the floor. I don't know if you noticed that case, but the floor was a little bit more sparse and they had a couple of the second-tier parts of the center uh, tarped off. Did you notice that? I didn't. Uh, that was just something I wasn't paying attention to at the time of watching the show. Uh, but I'm glad that you picked up on that. So now that explains maybe the difference between the number when uh, New Japan ran that building and now the Dragon Gate number that we got a few days ago. Right. I was talking with John Carroll, and they said that there, the two shows that they did in Fukuoka for New Japan, there was a 4,000 and a 6,000. So it would make sense why they would be around towards the lower end of it. But before we get go down match by match, Case, what did you think about this show overall? I really liked it. Uh, Final Gate is always an interesting show because it seems like we get one or two really good matches a year. You know, we had Shingo vs. Hulk in 2014, Shingo vs. Shima 2015. The problem with Final Gate is that it's in Fukuoka, which is a notoriously bad crowd. I think it's the worst building Dragon Gate runs. They just, they never seem to react to anything. And as we discussed this card, I noticed there are a few points where the crowd really reacted to certain spots and then just gave the wrestlers nothing and others. But from a match quality perspective, every match other than one match really delivered for me. Uh, I thought the Twin Gate match kind of over-delivered. I, I was expecting a a kind of, you know, the gentleman's four, really. I was expecting that to, oh, that was a great match. Twin Gate match blew me away, and the rest of the show was pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I think I'm with you. The Twin Gate was easily my match the night, but 
the matches that really over delivered like i'm looking at this triangle gate match that i was kind of dreading and came out of it thinking pretty positively not only about the decision but about the match itself and i know one of the uh kind of minor storylines in dragon gate this year has been all the new freelancers coming in but this was a match that i felt like kazuma sakamoto really endeared himself at least to some of the dragon gate audience because he's he seems to get it now and that was a match that exceeded my experience and then really the only match that i outright was like well two matches i was outright like okay whatever about sadly were the opener and the main event so it, it i love the show it was it felt like it was an easier watch than past years final gates in some ways it felt like that there wasn't really anything other than the main event that went longer than i felt it should so do you want to start really, with the main event yeah let's just get the badness out of our mouth yeah. first so the main event of this match of course was the apuestas match mascara contra caballera dragon kid versus ada and 26 minutes and 13 seconds dragon pen dragon gate or sorry dragon gate dragon kid pinned ada with the ulka the ultra hurricane rana and ada lost his hair and it, I kind of feel like I'm repeating myself every time there is a Dragon Kid and Ada match. I know we've talked about it a couple of times, but this just happened. It wasn't great. It just felt like they were going through the motions. I just want to solve three on this one. Case, what'd you think about it? I gave it three and a quarter, and I felt like that was kind of generous. You know, we just talked about Hulk and Shingo. Shingo and Shima and these hatred filled matches that have closed out final gate. It's been an event, you know, it happens at the end of the year, you know, even Mochizuki versus Shima from 2011, you know, it really culminates whatever that main story of the year has been for dragon gate this year with all of the changes, with all of the ins and outs in the company, the one consistent has been dragon kid and Ata do not like each other. And we saw it in their Kobe world match that these two just kind of had a match. It wasn't really anything special. I compared their Kobe World match to the year prior, which was Kagatora versus Flamita, where I was like, these are both for the Brave, Brave Gate. They're wrestled in the same way, but I'm supposed to believe that these two hate each other. And I'm I'm confused. I'm not really sure what to do with this. Um, and then for their Dangerous Gate match in September, I was like, okay, they've kind of figured it out. You know, I'm cool with one more match. Let's do hair versus mask. Let's figure out a way to to make this special and then they came into this match and i thought the star of this match was naruki doi uh doi interfered you know at one point uh the heel unit red is is doing their interference spot where they're nailing dragon kid in the corner with these lariats and then doi and maximum come in and doi makes the save and he hits a bakatari sliding kick on ada and it gets twice the pop that anything else in this match had gone to that point and then at the very end it's Doi who smashes the box on uh, on Ata's head, leading to Dragon Kid getting the finish. And Doi hitting Ata with the box got a bigger pop than the actual finish. Um, these two just just worked the match with no sense of urgency, with no hatred. And I sh- I maybe there's a part of me that should be okay with that because I'm not into lucha brawling, I'm not into mask ripping and blood and all that stuff, but. In this match, I wanted some of that, and I felt like this match needed that extra boost to take it to the next level, and it never got there. You know, that was exactly what I, I was going to say, and then one of the first things I had in my notes was, 
I really, for a match like this and this kind of stakes, this is a different kind of match than the uh, cage match uh, where that's the six the six way match. This is a one on one Apuestas match, and Dragon Kid has been in some of the legendary Apuestas matches in Dragon System history, where there has been a lot of mask ripping, where there's been blood, and I felt like that for a match that was supposed to really put a pin on this year it needed it it needed some griminess i i was really happy that ada about halfway in the match finally decided to to rip at dk's mask like i i'm someone who does like lucha brawling so i really was when i was watching at least until the part where when rookie doi came in i was just like going like okay when are we going to get to that gear when are we going to get into that gear and it just never came there and that's something that really frustrates me with a match like this and for something that's as valuable as dragon kid's mask like in my mind the dragon kid's mask is more valuable than the open the dream gate title because you can only claim it once and is that this match in my mind just was not the match that was deserving of that distinction. Uh, Dragon Kid's a day one student. You know, he survived Sua, he survived Shuji Kondo, he survives Azuma Yokozuka. This was Ata's chance to mythically be on that same level and say, you know, you've taken down all these giants. You know, can you take down me? Can you take down someone that you mentored an over generation? And unfortunately, I think we've reached the conclusion from this match that if Final Gate main events are supposed to represent the year in Dragon Gate, we can pin this as the point where it just became blaringly obvious that Ada is not the guy and that he's not the ace. And thank God for Pac. I mean, Pac has done a lot of things, you know, in his three-month stint with the company right now to help bring back some Western eyes and to stabilize and I guess re-energize the Dreamgate scene a little bit more. But more importantly, he's now the de facto ace of the red unit, which was needed because Ata's just not the guy. We just talked about 2016, the springtime, when Ada was a babyface and he was doing the Yave stuff. And we we're like, oh my God, like Ada really has a chance. There was so much talk online about Ada being held down and he needs to be the one main eventing these shows and he's better than T-Hawk. Two years later, T-Hawk is one of my favorite wrestlers in the world wrestling for Wrestle 1 and Ada has go away heat with me. I don't like watching this guy work. I don't like watching, especially on the smaller shows, the the Sapporo shows, the Kobe Sambo Hall shows. If I see Ada in a match, it's an immediate detractor for me and it's just been a year of one disappointment after another with this guy and he capped it off with such a blown opportunity in such a big match. And I I'm with you with all that. And I, I feel like a little bit of this does need to go towards dragon kid because dragon kid did try to bring some things out. He wore a white mask. He only wears white masks for important apuestas match. Most famously the darkness dragon one. And he didn't do his breakdancing. He did his 1998 kind of announcement pose where he crosses his hands and he did the Jesus walks like moves that you just don't see that much. And I feel like he was trying to get at Ada to pull him out, but he wasn't able to. And Ada on the whole for me, I just don't see him as a heel number one. 
And I think I completely agree with you about thank goodness for Pac because Ada just, for one, he just doesn't necessarily have the appeal. And two, his best facet about him right now is that he cut, he has learned to cut a good heel promo. Like that's it. He's, he's gotten really good at the heel promos because his moveset really hasn't changed. His motivation seems to be a little better, but you can't, but you wouldn't be able to tell that. And they gave him perhaps like the, the biggest like put up or shut up moment. And it just feels like that this was in between the dangerous gate and the Kobe world main, the Kobe world brave gate match. And I, I don't know. It, it's kind of like, well, how long do we have to wait until we turn Binke face and go with that route with him? Because Ada kind of, he, I think we fit, we finally know truly what Ada is now. And that's a good number two who could play a, a slimy heel character. Really trust him to be the main eventer that they need. That's the thing. Ada's a number two. He's consistently swallowed alive by whoever he's in a heel unit with. Because you could look at Berserk and you could say, well, they were really gunning for Ada to be a top guy there for a while, but he didn't have the charisma of Shingo and he didn't have, you know, by that point he had lost so much good faith in the company that he wasn't even the number two. T-Hawk was the number two. And you can say, well, you know, of course Ada's not going to have the charisma that Shingo needs to have. You know, Shingo's the top guy of the company. Ada's supposed to be the top guy of the company, too. He can't just let Shingo hog this spotlight. Ada has to step up for himself and have people take notice of him. And now, through Antius and through Red, it's, who are we talking about? We're talking about how good Pac's been. We're talking about how Ben K's the future. And even Big R Shimizu, who I think is kind of a, a goofy heel at times and is is sometimes, like, eye-roll-inducing, if, if I'm given the choice between Shimizu and Ata, who am I running with as the top guy— it's Shimizu all day because I know that I can work with Shimizu and that he's going to have this menacing presence. And he just, Ada comes across as lazy. I just don't like watching him wrestle anymore. I There's just nothing there. We've seen it. I know what Ada's going to do. It's not fun to watch anymore. And I don't think his shaved head is going to change that dramatically. He needs to be an elite level heel. That's what he, he's been destined to be. They've given him the opportunities to do it. He's never been able to do it. He couldn't surpass Shingo. He's getting swallowed alive by Pac and Ben K in his own unit. He's not there. He's not the guy. And and I guess like we're at a point now where we don't know how long Pac's going to be around. That we might be looking at this at a post Kobe world 2019 world where Pac's not around and then it's back to Ada and there has to be something either changing or they have to realize okay this isn't the case and start pulling out aces up their sleeves that they wouldn't want to have to play yet and i feel which is which is probably ben k winning the dreamgate championship because i don't know how you can be in that company and look at those two and after this year-long run with dragon kid especially when on the flip side you see ben k having the match with mochizuki having all these amazing matches and you can still go to Ata as your top guy. Right. And and it's even as a case that I feel like that in a dream world, Ata is just a bridge. Ata is there for the next couple of years. A lot of a lot like how 
in some ways, the original role was supposed to be for Naruki Doi. Like, Doi was supposed to be the bridge until Hulk and Shingo were ready. But really, like, they're doing a great job building up this next generation. Like, they actually aren't floundering. Like, that's one of the big storylines, I feel like, also in this tale in 2018, is now that, now with the Rookie League and with Mochizuki Dojo, we actually have some planning for the future. But Ada, if Ada wants to change people's mind about him just being a bridge guy who needs to lead for 18 months and he'll just go back to just being a just being like a random mic worker and just being the second on twin gate tag teams then keep this up dude because this is where you're gonna get slotted because he's having he has at least two guys in a stable eating his lunch and he's put on the biggest stage possible and get and basically thrown into the deep end and yet again he's just not doing it so I don't really have any other thoughts for the main event. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say about it? Nah, like I said in my review, it would be if this was the third match on the card, it'd be fine. But it wouldn't be a hair versus mask match. It probably wouldn't be for a title. It would just be a solid singles match. This is how this was worked, and it was it was a disappointment, especially considering how good the rest of the show was and how good the match before it was. Oh, absolutely. So you just want to work from the main event back and let's get into the Twin Gate match? Let's do it. All right. So the Twin Gate match, which we both said was our match of the night, was the 44th Open, the Twin Gate champion team four-way decision match, with the four teams being Yamato and Kagatora of Tribe Vanguard. Of course, this was after BB Hulk injured his neck during the Doi Darts match. And... They faced off against Big Ben of Big R Shimizu and Benkei against uh, Doyoshi Speed Muscle of Naruki Doi and Masato Yoshino, and then against Mexablood of Flamita and Bandito in what is almost certainly Bandito's last match in the company. And this was my match of the night. I really loved it. Okay, so what were your thoughts about this? Uh, one quick note. Unless he would come back for one-offs or, you know, something changed in the near future, I've been told by two sources that this is officially Bandito's last Dragon Gate tour, that he moves on to Ring of Honor, and pure speculation on this part, but probably New Japan in 2019. So my understanding is that it is the last we'll see of Bandito while Flamita uh, is going to be sticking around for a while. Uh, what did I think of this match? Uh, I had... Not an epiphany, but but I've been very hard on Kagatora throughout my time of, you know, four years reviewing Dragon Gate at this point. Um, Kagatora is a very talented wrestler. I think he's been involved in a lot of great matches, but I have never bought into the hype that was especially prevalent in 2015 and 2016 that he's underpushed and that he, he should be a main event player. He needs to be wrestling KZ and Mochizuki and whoever else in the main event. I've never bought into that. I think he is a a good mid-card wrestler who gets a lot of hype because, you know, he's done some amazing things in a wrestling ring that really no one's been able to copy. But when it comes down to it, he's just not an elite-level player. I still stand by that, but I will say he wrestled his ass off in this match, and I thought what he did, uh, securing two roll-up victories, one over Masato Yoshino, the other over Bandito, and then just about getting Shimizu and Ben K to lose to a roll-up in this match was phenomenal. Uh, this was the Kagatora showcase for me. I think Flamita and Bandito 
did a lot of things that were incredible in this match. I think if they were around for 2019, they'd be a shoe in for one of my tag team of the year votes. But for all we know, this might be the last time we see Flamita and Bandito team together. Kagator is going to be here in 2019 though. And he killed it in this match. Oh, absolutely. And with the injury to Hulk and Maria still out for a few months, he instantly is number two in Tri Vanguard. So doing this to make him more of a serious presence was desperately needed. And he was a guy who took the bull by the horns. Like he was, and if this match went 26 minutes and 21 seconds, as Case mentioned, he got pens on Yoshino and Bandito with the with the Kage Nue, which is his uh, pen, which is flash pen. And then Shimizu got the final fall with the shot put slam. And it wasn't just those pens that they used to get him over. They basically made uh, a Big Ben murder him to keep him down for the count. And talking about Fukuoka crowds, the crowd really was getting into this last fall, like the last five minutes of this match, which was almost all Kagatora. Like Yamato might have been in this match out of the 26 minutes of it, maybe five minutes worth of it, maybe. I might be underestimating but this really was the kagatora show throughout this match it was beautiful um you know the the last few minutes with him and and big ben kagatora hits the first flash and then he goes into this pen i thought he was going to win the match with the first flash um i thought it was an awesome moment you know it's a it's a tribute to hulk his his fallen friend who's unfortunately going to be out for a very long time uh with a neck injury but you know, the Fukuoka crowd came alive for that first flash. They came alive for him, you know, fighting against these two monsters because Yamato was, you know, like you said, kind of MIA. Um, and then he eats the assisted spear from Big Ben, which is the best thing in wrestling. Um, and then is pinned by Shimizu. So Big Ben are your new Open the Twin Gate champions, which I believe, you know, was heading in that direction regardless of Hulk's injury or not. But Kagator, for the time being, you know, I'll give him three months as considering him to be an elite level guy, and we'll see where it goes from there. But for all of the great matches he's been involved with, you know, Susumu and Kagator versus Ada and T Hawk is, you know, their series of matches kind of stick out in my mind. Uh, this was one of his best individual performances. I just thought he was brilliant in this match. Yeah, and there were other moments in this match I really liked as well with him, like. There, there was a moment that was just Doyoshi doing combo after combo on him, and he was still getting out of it. And they really gave the really gave the impression that okay, he's going to be the one stepping up now in Tri Vanguard, which they really need now. After it seeming like that they were back on solid footing, now they're back down to three members again. So I was really impressed with Kagator in this, and I thought this was kind of a nice send off for for bandito he was able to get his 21 his 21 suplex there were a couple he had a couple of really nice moments there including catching shimizu that uh, was pretty impressive on it that and was incredible uh, bandito has been someone that realistically he's probably the worldwide breakout star of 2018 and it's really it's bittersweet seeing someone who started off the year in an international four a tag team match with Flamita as kind of the guy being brought along by Flamita after Flamita has tried to have a lot of different tag partners from Mexico and he was the one that stuck to now, you know, basically having his pick of companies 
there were at least three promotions that were interested in Bandito at the time that he signed with Ring of Honor. And it's just kind of wondrous. And this was also one of Flamita's best performances on this tour as well. Uh, like, Flamita is not going anywhere. I'm glad to see Flamita getting a little bit back his confidence. And it's worth noting that it seems that Flamita is bringing back Mysterioso in 2019 so he is back he was in 2017 he didn't really light my world on fire but it, it looks like that well bandito's bandito's gone flamita is going to be sticking around i mean i wouldn't suspect flamita to be signing anywhere in 2019 for for what i would, I've been I would told i would be shocked if flamita if he signed anywhere that uh prohibited him from still working Dragon Gate. I would be I would be shocked by that news. I was pretty much told that Flamita is making Dragon Gate his number one priority. And this was a couple months back. So and take a look at a lot of the Gaijin being brought in. I wonder who got the word in for them. Yeah. So. All this all this underutilized Mexican talent. It's almost like Flamita was in that position once and now has a better gig. I wonder mm-hmm. how that works. Um, yeah, but yeah, Fl- Flamita and Bandito in this match. I mean, again, it's amazing just you know what can happen in twelve months because you know I knew Zach Wentz and Desmond Xavier from the Midwest Indie scene. Um, August two thousand sixteen, uh, Desmond Xavier wrestled Ricochet on an AAW show, and I wrote in my review, Desmond Xavier is going to tour with Dragon Gate. It's just it's not a matter of if but when. Um, so I was pumped about him and Wentz coming over. I love Flamita. I think he's, I think he's one of the best wrestlers in the world, really. Uh, but I didn't know much about Bandito, and for that first tour, the hype really went to Winston Xavier. You know, the the moonsault pushover spot had been gift a million times, uh, but Bandito gets a gig in PWG from there, and then he comes back. You know, makes another good impression, and then comes back on this tour. He he just looked like a different wrestler. I mean, he looked so good. On this on this two month tour that he was on with Flamita and Daga, um, and he did it. And this show, he did it also on the prior Cork and Hall show, where he did he bounced off the ropes and then did like a a back handspring across the entire ring and moonsaulted to the floor. Uh, both times he ended up being caught, which I actually think might have been a mistake because both times he did that, it got such a giant reaction, and then the crowd died a little bit when they realized he was caught. I want to see him do that move and then just moonsault onto the guys and just have it be his offense because, you know, what Flamita does to follow that's incredible too, but I've never seen someone just be able to back handspring across a wrestling ring like that. So I hope he brings that to Ring of Honor and I hope he now sticks the landing in the future. Yeah, it he just has certain things about him that you don't see out of other wrestlers. For one, his like pizza toss DDT is one of the coolest things I've ever seen where he, he kind of does the old Claudio Castanoli UFO and then makes into a DDT. His rope rebound 21 is incredible and he's exciting. And although I'm really bummed to see him leave Dragon Gate, he's someone that if given the opportunity, I think he has some of the most creative offense that you will see in wrestling today. It's exactly why he's broken out compared to a lot of other guys that do flips and, you know, might have charisma similar to Bandito's. 
Bandito is simply doing it better than everybody else. He's a little more creative. He's a little more charismatic. And, you know, again, it's a bummer to see him leave Dragon Gate, but I'm thrilled that he's got a, a gig with Ring of Honor now, and I hope he injects some life into the Ring of Honor scene. Uh, mm-hmm. Although that is a discussion for another day. Yeah, and for... Yep, that'll, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, so moving forward, Big Ben are the Twin Gate champions. It seems like to me that they're going to be building up Yamato and Kagatoragan, like on that Kobe War on that uh, Kobe Samba Hall show. They had uh, a really fun match with Yamato and UT. Like, did you get the sense that that might be the direction going forward? Yeah, I did, and I could easily see that being a uh, champion gate in Osaka match of Kagatora and Yamato versus Big Ben, because I believe it's been reported that Maria won't be back until February or March at the earliest, so you're looking at a very depleted tri-vanguard. They've got to do something. They can't just fall out of the picture completely. UT is going to be busy with the rookie league, so that's going to be as I flip my remote in the air with my uh, obsessive hand gestures or outrageous hand gestures. Um, but, you know, you can't really do a triangle gate team between Yamato, Kagatora, and UT because, you know, UT is going to be busy. So it seems like that's the direction, and I'm totally okay with that because I think Yamato and Ben K have ridiculous chemistry together. Um, my favorite, favorite, favorite spot in wrestling is someone going for a spear and the other wrestler kneeing them in the face. Uh, Yamato does it to Ben K all the time. I've seen T-Hawk do it to guys recently on grimy Japanese indies and on Wrestle 1. Um, I'm all for it. And I, as long as these two continue to wrestle, I hope to see that spot every match because I lose my mind for it every single time. Yeah, I feel like that Yamato is a guy who does not have incredible chemistry with a lot of people, but throughout the matches with Yama Hulk versus Big Ben, we've already seen that chemistry kind of take off. So I'm excited. I, I hope we get to see this happening at Champion Gate. And I I Yamato to me, my my ideal of Yamato is as as a twin gate wrestler. So I'm happy if that's where they're going to go forward with. Uh, do you have any more thoughts on the Twin Gate before we move on to the Triangle Gate? Well, yeah, just briefly. Um, do you think the idea of Yamato and Kagatora versus Big Ben, is that strong enough to headline one of those Champion Gate shows? I think you're going to have to because I don't know who Dragon Kid's going to defend the Brave Gate against because that's usually the other option is either Twin Gate or uh, Brave Gate. So... I think I just I mean Drangi tag team matches are my favorite my favorite style of match. I just I got that idea in my head now and that just that sounds really cool to me of you know doing Dreamgate and Triangle Gate on one night and then having a Brave Gate match but then having that Twin Gate match main event on the other night because I, I the alternative is probably a Sakamoto Yoshida Kanda Triangle Gate defense and I don't want that to headline a card anywhere in the world really. Um, yeah. But that's that's a star-studded idea for a twin gate match, and to give that time and to let that breathe, I'm I'm excited about it now, and that's a hypothetical scenario that would happen three months down the line. So I I've got that idea in my head now. I really hope that's the direction they go. It, it's just the one that makes the most sense to me. Also, now just like looking at where the title picture is going to be, it just seems like that Brave Gate won't be there. Like like we just said. There's no way Cosmos Sakamoto is going to be uh, main eventing a show with Yuzushi Kanda in 2019. 
So I think it has to be Twin Gate. But it's speaking of that Triangle Gate team, the uh, the the mat the pre intermission match was the uh, Triangle Gate championship match where KZ, Susumu Yokosuka, and Giki Horiguchi falled when they try to make their another record-breaking seventh defense of their Triangle Gate titles. So that means that the uh, that the day record of the Triangle Gate championship reign stands as RED becomes the 64th champion team, and that team is Takashi Yoshida, Yuzushi Kanda, and Kazuma Sakamoto in 16 minutes, 57 seconds, as Kazuma Sakamoto hit the half-package pile driver again on Giki Horiguchi. And this was the match that exceeded my expectations the most on the card. I ended up actually really liking this a lot, and coming away with a level of appreciation of Kazuma Sakamoto that if you were to tell me at Dangerous Gate that he'd be a Triangle Gate champion and you'd be okay with it, I would be really confused. But I really like this a lot. Case, what did you think about it? I don't know if I can take a victory lap on Cosmo Sakamoto, but I'm definitely in that ballpark because I've said since he's debuted, he's fine. He's not going to light the world on fire. He's not, he's not challenging for the Dream Gate. He's not... His presence isn't overbearing on the show. What he's doing in a mid-card role is totally fine, and I think he does an all-right job. I think it's made worse by the fact that they've stuck him with Takashi Yoshida, who is Takashi Yoshida, and then Yasushi Kanda, who, uh, much like Eita, has total go-away heat with me. But Kazuma Sakamoto has been totally fine in his run. I thought he looked really good in this match, and I think you like this match a little bit more than me. I gave it three and a half and basically said this was about as effective of a triangle gate switch as you could have. The execution of this match was really good. I just didn't think the in-ring work was anything to, you know, lose my mind over, but yeah, this match was, was a lot of fun. You know, I think the natural vibes triangle gate reign accomplished what they were going for with the very long monster express reign from a few years ago with Tozawa, Yoshino and T-Hawk where it seemed like Tozawa and Yoshino were these established vets, much like Susumu and Genki Horiguchi, and they were really using this reign to kind of build up KZ or on the Monster Express case, T-Hawk, and you know, help usher him into the main event scene. The Monster Express reign, although it had some good matches, felt very long, felt very bloated, felt like they need to lose those titles at any point. Whereas this Natural Vibes reign, I was shocked when I found out that they were breaking Triangle Gate records, because I was like, oh, this it feels like they still have matches to wrestle it still feels like they have some life to them and sure enough you know they lose this match here but i think it's going to help kz going into 2019 to not be chained down by this triangle gate belt right i'm totally with you on that with kz i feel like that this really accomplishes its goal and that kz now is a uh, top player and he's a guy that i feel like you know, we were talking about Champion Gate just a few seconds ago, and I could see him now being the Champion Gate challenger to Pac. Like, this is, it accomplished its goals. I I was a little higher about the match than you. I was three and three quarters. And the thing that really I came away with was how okay I ended up feeling about the title change. Like, we're now, we leave we leave 2018 now knowing that that R.E.D. has three of the four titles, and 
it's I'm okay with it. It makes sense. This is this even though they have a really lackluster number one or nominal number one, this feels like the strongest that a heel unit has been since the beginning of Berserk. And I like that a lot. There was a couple really cool moments in this match that I liked. I, I liked how this match was really set up, and I think that's why I might have been a little bit higher than you on this, especially the fact that they really paired people off with people that that they were really complimentary to, with. Like, I remember in your review, you mentioned that Susumu was with uh, Yoshida, and those two are great together. You had KZ kind of doing both Kanda and uh, Sakamoto, and it really kind of made... It really kind of played into Sakamoto being a larger guy, having KZ trying to chop and elbow smash him. And then Kanda and Genki have always had good chemistry. So that's that was really something that was like, okay, they laid out this match really well. And then the last few moments where Genki was desperately going for the backslide for, from heaven, and then Yoshida just like picked him up partway through one of them was one of the moments that I just started cackling watching. I, I don't know. It's something that I know has probably happened 10 or 12 times, but case I just love the idea of of Takashi Yoshida just throwing Kiki Horiguchi around. Oh, so. totally. Absolutely. Uh, th- I mean, this natural vibes trio, it's a shame that Dragon Gate's at a point where the Triangle Gate titles, unless something drastically changes, they're just not going to mean what they once did. You know, at this point, 10 years ago, approaching 15, really. But this match was was great. And this trio of KZ, Yokosuka, and Horiguchi, it's like I wish I could interject them into 2005 and just say, have matches with Do Fixer, have matches with Blood Generation, and headline these cards. Because it's not often that you've got a team like this with three Stone Cold Killers on the team uh, that seem motivated and happy to be in a Triangle Gate team. And then on the flip side... You've got Sakamoto, Yoshida, and Kanda, who are, you know, in the bottom tier of in-ring workers on the Dragon Gate roster. I mean, realistically, probably three of the five least talented guys they employ. But they come together, and in this match, they they create this big, ugly team, and at least through their title win, were very fun to watch. I, I like this match. Yeah, and I don't know who they're going to really face off against now i guess you could really do a maximum team if you wanted to but it's it's it was it was something that was like okay they're the three bottom people in that stable we're obviously building up the stable so yep here we go you have it and i was dreading this match this was actually the match on the show that i was least looking forward to and exceeded my expectations i was really happy with it uh any more thoughts before we get into uh, the next match no, I know you really like this next match, so let's get to it. This is my victory lap because on the preview I said these two guys could really knock it out of the park, and I was very pleased that Daga versus Misaki Mochizuki was everything I hoped it was going to be. It was a 16-minute, 16 16-second 16 match where Mochizuki pinned Daga for surprising Hurricane Rana and Case. This was my second favorite match on the show. This actually might be the match that's going to stick with me longer than the uh, Twin Gate match, just because of how complimentary these two guys were. Like, it, both of them were just just being mean to each other for 16 minutes. Like, there's no better words to put it than it, this was a mean match between two mean guys. Uh, 
Case, how did you feel about this match? Were you as high on this as I was? I, I might be because it was my second favorite match on the show, and I think you hit the nail on the head of, I'm going to remember this match more than I'm going to remember the Twin Gate match because that Twin Gate match was amazing, but we're going to see a match like that in May, and then we'll see another one like that in July, and then we'll see another one like that in September, and then we'll have another great four-way tag at Final Gate next year. It's like, like that match happens a lot. We don't really see a 15-plus-minute singles match on Dragon Gate undercards often. I didn't, I was shocked when you said this match went 16 minutes because that just doesn't happen on match three of any show. You know, Kobe World, maybe if they want to do the Brave Gate match early, but this kind of thing doesn't happen. And these two just went out there and killed it. I, I have run out of things to say about Masaki Mochizuki other than... Uh, He's simply one of the best wrestlers of all time. And now we see him killing it with a new generation from a training perspective of, you know, now that in storyline he has control of, you know, the Shun Skywalkers and the Kota Minorus and the Hayao Watanabe's of the world, all of a sudden they're electric. Um, but he's now, from an in-ring perspective, having matches uh, with guys like Daga who are so young and have so much ahead of them in Mochizuki's age should signify that he's he's coming down and that he's, you know, on the downslope of his career. But shit, when you wrestle like this, I mean, he's just amazing. And I, I thought this match was awesome. I gave it three and three quarters. Um, but I kind of want to watch it again because I almost feel like I underrated it a little bit. See, I went four and a quarter on this thing. And I walked... I have more notes in my notebook about cool things that happened in this match than any other match on the show. Like, Daga had this knee bar face lock that was incredible. It just was something that, like, I've watched a lot of Lucha this year and a lot of the Maestro Yave style, but I've not seen a submission that meme in a match in a while. And I just loved that. And I just loved how Mochizuki was getting beat down. Like, you, you kind of got the feeling that if this match went to 20 minutes, 25 minutes, that Daga probably would get the win, but then he was able to pull it a trick up his sleeve and get the and get the uh hurricane run of the win and i feel like this was a match that for daga who had a okay first tour he kind of just bought his ticket for future tours of dragon gate now so i, I love like this a lot I, I like daga a lot i don't think he's adapted to the style um as quickly as someone like flamita did i'll even say i don't think he has adapted to the style as quick as someone like willie mack did but Daga works his ass off. And we've joked about it since his debut at Gate of Destiny, where he took an over-the-top rope back bump to the floor in like the second or third match of the show that the camera didn't pick up, but you could kind of hear the crowd go, oh my God, like what why did he just do that? He's he's worked super hard in every match he's been in, and it paid off with this match. And I hope he's back. I hope he does, you know, a champion gate through whatever tour does king of gate through kobe world i, I hope he does something i i think he's earned at least a second tour and one thing that's encouraging for that was i watched the uh, when i watched doi darts i watched the version of it that had the full intro and um oh, not doi darts pardon me when i watched the uh, december 4th show it had the full infinity opening and he's in the opening so oh, okay. 
So I don't know if this is going to be another Tony Knee situation where he's on the opening and in the uh, program for two years, but I'm encouraged by it. And I think he adds a interesting edge to Red because he's he is a luchador, but like watching him throughout his career, and, and I've seen him. I saw him in Lucha Underground, and I saw him in a couple other promotions. He definitely does not feel like the typical luchador that Dragon Gate usually would use. And I think that's why it was so smart to put him up against Masaki Mochizuki, who is one of the most inventive wrestlers in the world. And I feel like that this kind of needs repeating. This guy turns 49 next month. Masaki Mochizuki is about is on the downslope of his career, but is still wrestling at such a high level that in 13 months, we'll probably be talking about him being the best 50-year-old wrestler ever. So I just love this match, and I would love for them to see even run this match back if he's back during King of Gate. Like, I, I really hope that happened because this is a match that left me, it, it left me feeling like, okay, this is a match that left an impression. This is a match that had moves and sequences that were just outstanding. And I'm just excited to see or to think of what could happen next in Dog and Dragon Gate, I guess. I guess that's what this all kind of builds to in my mind. I totally agree with your point that it feels like they should have a rematch at some point, because even though this match was 16 minutes, I feel like this has more legs to it, and that we can see these guys have a part two and then a part three, and they can really do something special with this, which again, for an undercard match number three, that's that's awesome. So good for mm-hmm. Daga. I think he's I think he's earned at least a second tour. And Mochizuki, you know, in January will hit his 25th anniversary on wrestling, which will be the five year anniversary of him versus Yoshino in Cork and Hall for the Dreamgate, which was at the time like, oh, this might be the last great Mochizuki match we have. And then you know he goes at a year later and has his match with Shingo, which is one of the best matches ever. And four years after that, he's still killing it. So Masaki Mochizuki is just a machine. I, I think we have to stop saying this is going to be his last great match ever <laughs> at this no, point, guys. I, mean, I mean, he just, how could you bet against him? It's like the, the number one thing in life right now is that Masaki Mochizuki is going to have a great match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And he actually had two, two great matches on the show because I didn't mention this before, but... After this match, Saki Chikawa came down to a very tired and very beat up Misaki Mochizuki and challenged him to a match. Mochizuki got the win in two minutes with a reverse figure four. That was a fun little segment there. I enjoyed it. I didn't expect Stalker to come out for this. Did you? No, and I thought the segment was great. I'm glad he came out. And I am secretly very excited to see what they're going to have Stalker do for the 20th anniversary shows coming up in 2019. I'm trying to think what would be the most wild match to put Stalker in. Do you think they could convince Kinski to come out of uh, to come out of retirement oh, for one more be, match? That would be awesome. I mean, there's I it would it would tear me up inside, but if the Stronghearts guys come back, I feel like Shima's at a point in his life where like he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll do our five on five whatever match. But then at the end of that, Stalker's going to come out and challenge me, and I'm going to have to Meteora Stalker through the canvas. Like, I just feel like there's going to be some unexpected turns in Stalker's uh, uh, 2019, and I'm looking forward to it. 
Yeah, uh, I would make sure that he he has enough money for hospital bills going forward because it looks <laughs> like he's going to have a rough. It's going to be a rough road ahead of him. Absolutely. Uh, before we get deeper into the undercard, do you have any more thoughts about this match? No, it's great. I hope I hope people go watch Mochizuki Daga and then stick around for Mochizuki Chikawa. Yeah, it's a good. It's about as fun of a twenty-five minutes as you could have on watching a show, just because you get the highs of highs and you get the absolute weirdness of Stalker just coming out and Mochizuki trying to beg off the match. I love that. Like he was just like, "Did you see what happened? Daga spent sixteen minutes destroying my leg. I don't want to wrestle you now." <laughs> it was just the most like, just get away. Like I don't. I'm not in the mood for this. I've got guys to train. I've got, you know, Hindu squats to do. Not now, Stalker. But sure enough, they wrestled, and it was a super fun match. Yeah, it was great. And another, talking about matches that, at least in my mind, exceeded expectations, the second match of the show was an eight-man tag consisting of Mochizuki's Disciples and Shun Skywalker, Hiyo Watanabe, Yuki Yoshioka, and Kota Minonor facing the what could be called the fourth iteration of Team Veteran, but they're not that. But it's the veteran team of Ryo Saito, Don Fuji, Gamma, and Kness, with Shin Skywalker getting the pin on Ryo Saito in 13 minutes and 25 seconds with his Skywalker moonsault. And him getting the pin on Saito was something, wasn't it? It's the only thing that I really took away from this match was, you know, Skywalker had the opportunity hypothetically to pin Gamma or Kness or even kind of have a comedy win over Fuji, but they had him pin Saito clean in the middle of the ring. And I think that says all you need to know about Skywalker's trajectory in 2019. Would you say he is the favorite in the rookie league? I mean, he'd have to be. He, I guess, but now when I think about it, yeah, I mean, he had a really big 2018 uh, being in the All Japan Junior Tag League with Mochizuki, which seems like it was so long ago. That goes back to my point of 2018 just seems like a very long year for the Dragon system. Of uh, Mochizuki and Skywalker spent a month in All Japan, and we don't talk about it a ton. Um, but, you know, he had the Twin Gate match with Mochizuki against Yama Hulk. He's got more big match experience than Ashida and UT who have been around nearly as long as he has, or, you know, in, in UT's case, uh, a few years longer. Um, and I don't see any of his contemporaries, you know, Watanabe, a Yoshioka, someone like that. I don't see them strapping the rocket pack to them uh, this soon in their career. So yeah, I think Skywalker has got to be the favorite for rookie league. And it really feels like that I'm someone that's been kind of tough on Shun. I've been, I, I've been kind of backhanded complimenting him, calling him, oh, he's a lot like Hayabusa and that he's always flirting with disaster. But over the last month, and especially since the two Corkins and Final Gate, he has not really had his his crazy botches where it's like, oh, shoot, you could have just killed yourself, buddy. He came in, he had three big dives, he nailed all three big dives, and he just looked like a star in this match. Yeah, I'm sold on Skywalker. Um, I think we saw peak reckless Skywalker uh, in the Twin Gate match with Mochizuki where he literally almost died about three times, but it uh, created an amazing match that I'm still a huge fan of. And since then, we've seen him slowly rein it in, and I think he's capable of being consistently good and consistently safe. 
so I thought this match was was a lot of fun. You know, it was a match number two. I can't I can't wax poetically about it. But Skywalker getting the pin on Saito instead of the other three guys is to me a big deal. Yeah, because when you look at the other three guys, Gamma doesn't mean anything anymore. I mean, Gamma hasn't meant anything since uh, they were briefly in Mad Blanky. Kness is held together by bubble wrap. And Don Fuji, as great of a man as Don Fuji is, Don Fuji has a certain station in life. Whereas Ryo Saito had a Dreamgate shot recently. Like, Ryo Saito is out of the four, easily the most prestigious scalp to claim. So I thought that was really huge. And then the other three uh, Mochizuki Dojo guys all looked pretty good in this match. Like, Kyo's finally starting to put it together. I think that Yuki Yoshioka, the, like my one bold statement is I think Yuki Yoshioka might end up having the uh, more sneaky good career out of anyone in that group just because he's already so solid. Like, we'll get into the uh, the Kobe Sambo Hall show, but he was great on that as well. And Minonora, for someone who's only been around for six months, he's starting to put it together. I don't feel like that we know who Kota Minonora is. And I don't feel like he does either. Did you get that sense of him? I can certainly see that, although I do put a lot of stock in him simply because he's been around for six months. He has gear. He has even if it's a thinly thin outline persona, he's got at least something and he's now with the Mochizuki Dojo kids. Um, So they clearly at least see something in him. I like what I've seen, although that, as you kind of alluded to, that's purely raw and ring work. I don't see much, you know, character stuff with him, although I do love his gear. Um, But I like Minora going forward just because I think, Again, he's got a bright future if Drangate is is ushering him into, you know, post-young boy status so quickly. And I also, I got to agree with your take on Yoshioka there, too. I think he's very good. He's kind of the inverse of Skywalker. You know, Skywalker's flashy, attention-grabbing immediately, but has made a lot of mistakes in the ring. Yoshioka doesn't necessarily have that extreme outward charisma that Skywalker has but just a solid hand in the ring. And I, I've been a Yoki, uh, Yoshioka guy since he debuted. I thought he impressed me um, when the young guys were beaten to a pulp in December 2016 against the team veteran team. Um, so I'm a big Yoshioka guy too. I thought this match was a lot of fun. Um, I At this point, and we'll you know, talk about it again with this next match, but the, the rookies of Dragon Gate are now must-watch material to me. Oh, absolutely. It's It was the thing that was keeping me going during the dark months. I was hoping that the rookies would kind of turn it around, and they really did. And one last thing before uh, we move on to the opener. Was it just me, or did Gamma actually care during this match? Like, this is the most that Gamma has cared since his Twin Gate match at Final Gate 2016, I think, with Punch Tomonaga, I want to say, 2016. Bad match. Um yeah, yeah, that was a bad match, but he tried then, and that was the last time I remember him trying since this ma- until this match. Here's the thing with that team: you've got Fuji, Gamma, and Kness, who at this stage in their career, you know, Gamma and Fuji never liked a bump in the first place. Now Kness is to a point where if he takes a bump, he has to take six months off. They were kind of behind the eight ball on the effort category, but you pointed out to me, and you were right that that Gamma 
he he at least tied his shoes this one and i can't say he put his working boots on but he showed up to the venue with them and it accounted for at least something because he did take a few more bumps than normal in this match yeah it wasn't just me counting to three knowing that was it for gamma this match like he actually went in there and did did a whole lot there but if you're someone like us and you like watching the uh, rookies kind of evolve definitely check this one out and then also check out the opener which was another eight-man tag uh with jason lee kaido ishida sachi hoko boy and dragon daya versus super shisha ut brother yashi and problem dragon mondai ryu ishida got the pen on problem dragon in nine minutes and three seconds with his tiger suplex hold and I thought this was a pretty solid opener. Okay, so what were your thoughts about it? There's the thing. This match ruled. All right, I love this match because right now Kaito, Ishida, and UT are the two most interesting wrestlers on the Dragon Gate roster. I don't think anyone is touching what they're doing right now. UT was someone I had given up on, didn't care, didn't like him, didn't want to see him. He came back with this Yave-based offense this year. It's like, all right, UT is doing something. You know, for a while, it was the Kagatora, uh, Santa Maria, UT trio that I really liked. That falls apart due to Maria's injury. And then he just takes on an issue with Ishida. And Kaito Ishida is a guy who I've always liked a lot. I liked him when he debuted and he came up with Yamamura. We never really got to see an Ishida-Yamamura tag team like it seemed like Dragon Gate wanted to do because right when they started getting going, Ashita got hurt, and then right when Ashita came back, Yamamura got hurt, and now Yamamura split. So those two who have been connected since their debuts, they never got a prolonged tag team run. So for a long time, it felt like Kaido Ashita was just lost in the shuffle, and like maybe he was going to be a giant flop, all things considered, in the Dragon Gate system lineage. Turns out he's amazing as a member of Maximum. He just needed to cut his tights in half and dye his hair blonde, and now he's the meanest person on the roster. He's kicking the shit out of everybody and is targeting UT intentionally. I can't get enough of it. I thought this match was awesome between Ashita, between Jason Lee, who always delivers. I'm much higher than Dragon Dia than you are. I think you're hard on Dragon Dia. I think for basically six months, for all we know in the wrestling industry, I think he does a pretty darn good job. I thought his interactions with Super Shisa in this match were super fun. But this all goes back to Ishida and UT targeting each other, trying to make their each other's lives miserable, and it ruled. I gave this three and a quarter, which for an opening match is like four stars. Yeah, on the scale, me giving it two and a half is for an opener is me giving it three and a quarter, to be <laughs> to be honest. I, I like this not as much as you did. Here's my thing about Dragon Daya. I think that if you're going to be labeled as Dragon Kid's protege, you have to deliver. I and, and maybe I'm someone that puts Dragon Kid on a pedestal too much. I'll admit that, that he is a part of my favorite match in Dragon System history, him versus Darkness Dragon at Absolutemente. And because of that, I kind of treat Dragon Kid as what he was built, the heir to Ultimo Dragon. So if Dragon Daya is supposed to be the heir to Dragon Kid, I, I have some high expectations, and maybe I'm not being too fair to Dragon Daya. I'll admit that. I'll admit my bias there. But as you were saying, Ishida versus UT is one of those undercard storylines that this company has been missing desperately 
since about 2016 when Tozawa left. It's just been great. They go back at it on every show, and they you actually kind of feel like real hatred there. And with the Rookie League coming up, we I feel like we all know if they're not paired off against each other in the first round, that's going to be a semifinal match in the tournament. You know? I, so, I really hope they put them together in the first round because I think the stakes are, in a weird way, it almost feels like the stakes are higher if they wrestle in a first-round match compared to the semifinals. Yeah, but these two are—it's one of my, you know, one of my guilty pleasures in wrestling. Almost of just that obsessive targeting, and the best examples of it are early '90s All Japan when you saw it with Masawa and Jumbo, and then you saw it with Masawa and Kawada later on in these multi-man tags where two guys just get incensed with one another, and it's you know, there's eight guys in the ring, but but those two are the two that really hate each other, and they brought a lot of that to this match, and I just thought it was really cool the way they did that. And I'm so happy that Ishida, after three years of injuries and of you know being an over generation, which is like a mental injury, he's finally <laughs> figured out something. It it makes me really happy that Ishida is on the right track now. And, and on the other side of the coin, we have UT. UT, who is someone who was basically taken away in the middle of the night to go to Mexico on the eve of his debut and coming back as a big deal, he wins the Triangle Gate. And then ever since he lost that belt, he's been injury after injury. He had like this weird storyline for a while where he hated everyone younger than him. Then he got injured again. And he came back this year. He established a completely new and different wrestling style that fits him perfectly. And he now has a natural rival. And the other guy in this quote-unquote rookies league who has been kind of passed aside for people like Shimizu, people like El Lindemann when he was around people like Bing K. So I love these two together. Uh, I love seeing Super Shisa, like just having him back here. He had like this really wild uh, Romero special where he was able to get two of them in there with it. I know Dragon Daya was a part of it. I think also Lee was as well. Like this was just a lot of fun for a nine minute match. There was a whole lot of fun there. There, yeah, you know, I, I like even liked how the ending was where Mondai Ryu really desperately wanting to get the pin and because he was being a dipshit he lost the match for his team and you can see how frustrated ut was afterwards with that like this was just if this they, these are the openers that i know that rich and joe talk about that you could count on and dragon gate for a, that they had basically from 2011 to late 2016 and now i feel like they're back and it's worth watching now top to bottom all these cards because I gave this match two and a half stars, but that's not a bad rating in my mind for like a match like this. That's an opener. That was only nine minutes and you got about a minute, two minutes with each guy here. I thought it was really great for what it was. And it get, it got me even more excited about the rookie league coming up. And, you know, I never thought that in January this year, that I would care so much about an Ishida versus UT feud going into 2019. So I came around along with this, match really loving it at the end of it and yes i am too hard on dragon dia i'll admit it i think i think you're very hard on it for someone that hasn't been around for a long time i don't know i think he's doing an all right job but but maybe maybe i'm biased because i'm so high on these rookies right now i'm like we got another one like <laughs> dragon's future is safe like everything's gonna be okay so i we're we're probably both showing our bias there but um yeah Final Gate was a good show. I think the Twin Gate match is must-watch. I think 
And then I, you know, I think the top three matches are must watch too. Really, I mean, everything on this show is good besides the main event. If you're pressed for time, you have to watch the Twin Gate match. For my money, I would put matches maybe Mochizuki and Daga in the opener over the Triangle Gate match. But I shit, this is just a good show. I'm trying to decipher, you know, what matches to tell people to watch. But the answer is the whole show minus the main event if you just aren't into that story because it's not going to deliver. And, and here's the thing also. Watch the last 10 minutes of the main event. You'll be good. Yeah, that's like, a good one. You'll, yeah, you'll yeah, see watch like a boy look really good in a Dragon Kid versus Ata match. Exactly. And you'll see a re- you'll see Fukuoka come alive when Maximum does the train attack into the corner. Like that that's when the match really picked up there. It just kind of existed beforehand. But for a last show last big show of Dragon Gate's year, I came out of it pretty happy. I'm with you on that. Like this is a this I don't know if it's my show of the year, but it definitely was one worth watching. But that wasn't the last show of the year case. No, it was last- not. The last show of the year came three days later in Kobe. This was their traditional... They used to call it the Fan Appreciation Show. They didn't call it that this year. They called it the Fantastic Gate 2018 finale. It was on the 26th, which means it will be up on Dragon Gate Network until the 2nd. It had 884 attendants, which is notable because last month's Kobe show only had 787. So they drew pretty well going towards the end of the year to finish off 2018. And I saw everything but the main event on the show, but I liked everything on this show pretty much. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, this was about as fun as a smaller Dragon Gate show has been all year. There was just something about this show where it seemed like every match, and I watched everything with the exception of match one, which I would say I kind of watched in clip form because I saw the guys on paper and I said, you know what? I just need to see the finish of this match. (laughs) But everything else on this show, I really liked. There are a few matches I'm going to recommend. But yeah, we can quickly go through this show because I don't think we need an in-depth breakdown like Final Gate, but there's definitely some stuff to talk about. Yeah, no, this is uh, only one match on the show went above 20 minutes, and that definitely is a match worth going on your way to go see. I'm just going to read off the the match zero i don't think we need to talk about it because it was kness versus sachi hoko boy kness got the win in five minutes and 21 seconds with hikari no wall and i i'm done with sachi hoko boy i thought he really stunk in the first match at final gate so i skipped this match did you have any thoughts on this one i watched it uh sachi hoko boy does not look good kness looks better than he did last month but you know i could say this match is five minutes What's it going to hurt? But it's five minutes of your time you could spend doing something else. Yeah, you could watch the Stalker versus Mochizuki match twice. <laughs> hey, I'm giving options here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, so the technical opener was an RED versus a unaffiliated-ish tag match. It was a six-person tag. Ada, Takashi Yoshida, and Yuzushi Kanda versus Sairyo, Brother Yashi, and Problem Dragon Monday Ryu. Ada won in 12 minutes and 58 seconds with his super kick on Mondai Ryu. And, uh, yeah, it's Ada on a house show. <laughs> That's all I can really say about this. It, I didn't like this match at all. This was my least favorite match I watched of these two cards. Okay, well, good, because this is the match where I looked at the six names on paper, 
And I said, well, I don't really like Ata. I don't see Yoshida's wrestling Susumu, so I'm not interested there. I don't like watching Kondo. I don't really like Saito at this point. Yashi, whatever. Problem Dragon, whatever. Okay, I'm going to skip to the end of this match. And so I saw about the last two minutes, and that was, that's, you know, that's all I need to see. So I'm glad I, I didn't miss, like, a sneaky great opener. No, no, no. There was a funny moment where Saito made a joke about Ada being bald. That was really the only thing about the match. Yashi was bad during this, and there was just, it was 13 minutes that you could again watch the, uh, you could actually almost watch the entire, the entire, entire, pardon me, Mochizuki versus Daga match instead of watching this. So do that instead. Uh, match two was actually a whole lot of fun. It was the uh, traditional match two singles match between Kakatora and Kota Minenora. Kakatora won with his sweet Kasuabi submission in eight minutes and nine seconds. And I really like this case. This rocked. This goes back to my point earlier. If I'm going to give Kagatora some time and uh, giving him, you know, the the mental appreciation of him being an elite level worker, because this was, you know, an eight minute squash. Really, he just beat the living shit out of Kota Minora for a while, but it was awesome. This was an eight minute squash match that's worth watching. If anything, just to see the submission that Kagatora wins with, because it was brutal. Uh, so this match is going to toughen up Minora for the Rookie League. I thought Kagator looked great here. I thought this match was a lot of fun. I'm glad I watched this match. Yeah, this, this was the first time I saw this submission of his, and I wanted to bring this out more often. It ruled. It was just like, oh, wait, what? Because I watched this match today. Sorry, I knew the results, but I didn't know what this move was. When I saw something wacky being locked in, and I was like, oh, this is going to be the way that Kagator wins the match. Okay. But... Yeah, they also, I don't know if you've noticed this or this was something that happened in the past, they remixed Kakatora's theme. I did not notice that. Yeah, I guess it was with the uh, Tri-Vanguard CD from this year, but he, you usually don't hear Kakatora's theme, but I noticed that they that they uh, remixed it. Also, since this show doesn't have either announcing or a second camera, you can hear the crowd calls and... I was surprised by the amount of crowd calls Kota Minenora got. Like, he's over. Like, I'm kind of surprised in that. So That's the thing. I, I, I think that kid's got something. And I don't know, like, with someone like Fuda Nakamura, who's now Ben K, or, like, you know, El Lindemann when he debuted, I could immediately picture them in a spot, even Shun Skywalker to an extent. I was like, all right, I I don't know if this guy's going to get there, but I, but I see their ceilings really quickly. I don't know what Kota's ceiling is yet. I just know there's something there, and I, I'm afraid to make any bold predictions because I really don't know. Again, I think I've got to see more of the charisma because, you know, the three guys I mentioned have, you know, really incredible charisma for, I think, for Ben Can, for El Lindemann, you know, they had generational charisma. For Shun Skywalker, he wore a neon green suit. I was immediately able to identify him. But with Coda, it's like... I, I can't tell what this guy's got, but he's got something. And and you're mm-hmm. right, you know, now that you say that you're, you know, the crowd seemed very into him. He put up a really good fight here. I don't know, 2019, he's he's a guy to watch in 2019. Yeah, I don't foresee him necessarily. I, I, I think him and Daya probably have the worst odds of winning the tournament, but he's definitely someone that I can see coming out of the tournament looking really strong and then, when we when we look at the final show of 2019 being saying, hey, 
Minanur had himself a really good second year of wrestling. And we might have more of a sense of that then. But for now, he's kind of the question mark of the of the rookies right now. And, you know, talking about rookies, the third match was another Mochizuki Dojo match. It had Shun Skywalker and Hio Watanabe versus Don Fuji and Gamma. Shun Skywalker got another pin on a first-generation guy as he pinned Gamma in 9 minutes and 55 seconds with the Skywalker Moonsault. And I kind of skipped around during this match, to be honest. I kind of saw the parts I wanted to. As soon as I saw Gamma on offense, I kind of fast-forwarded a little bit, <laughs> to be yeah, honest. I you there. That yeah. is a smart move. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of this match? Did you catch most of it? Yeah, I watched this whole match. I liked it. Uh, this is another one where Skywalker looked really good for, you know, in August, a 10-minute Skywalker match. You're probably going to see him slip on the ropes once or take an awkward neck bump by accident. But this match, everything everything that I saw went swimmingly. And then he pinned Gamma with the Skywalker moonsault in the middle of the ring. So it's clear he's the favorite going into this rookie league now. He's gotten two big, clean wins over veterans who are maybe not, you know, they're not top-the-line guys. They're not Yoshino. They're not Doi. But they're Gama and Saito, which I think are significant pinfall victories to get when you're in Skywalker's position. And I thought this match was fun. I wouldn't call it must-watch, but uh, it's certainly worth watching more than the first two matches, which were Kness uh, and Shachioko Boy and then the red six-man. I skipped those. Let's just get to the business end of the card with the Kagatora squash, the Shun Skywalker tag, and then Mas- uh, Masaki Mochizuki, Yuki Yoshioka, uh, Masato Yoshino, and Kaito Yoshida in that tag match, which we'll talk about now. Yeah, let's, let's just hop right into that. That was a 14-minute tag match where Yoshioka got a pin on Ishida, and that was made kind of a big point after the match where Yoshioka said he already had him figured out going into the rookie ranking tournament. So this is kind of turning now into a Ishida versus UT versus Yoshioka feud. And I like that a whole lot. Uh, Case, what were your initial thoughts of this match? This match was super fun. I think partially because I really like Yoshioka and I really like Kaito Ishida. And, you know, Mochizuki and Yoshino took a little bit of a backseat in this match, which they probably should have. And it was just more of, God, Kaito Ishida is really mean right now. Like, he is just kicking people. And I just imagine, like, even his maximum guys, like, he can't be that fun to be around because he just sees, like, he's so on edge. But it is so much fun to watch. And Yoshioka always delivers. So I like this match. I'm, I'm surprised to see this only went 14 minutes. Or I guess that this did go 14 minutes because it felt a little shorter, felt really compact, felt like a good match. Um, I would say this is worth watching. This was a fun, fun match number four on the card. Absolutely. I went three and a half stars on this match. I, I would be in the same ballpark, yeah. I loved it a whole lot. Uh, one thing, again, with this being a non-commentary show that you're able to hear the crowd, and the crowd loves Kaito Ishida. Like, it's kind of surprising considering that he is playing the mean kid in the rookie storyline, but... He got more calls than Mochizuki when he was in the ring against Mochizuki. Like, Kaido Ishida, and I've talked to people in the company, and they've said, oh yeah, on non-televised house shows, he is over. Kaido Ishida is over, and that rules. Like, it, I just, I, we've kind of made this whole entire episode with the exception of the tag match, talking about how much we love the rookies, but the whole Ishida and Yoshioka stuff was tremendous. 
the Mochizuki versus Ishida part was great where Mochizuki constantly was trying to go after Ishida's leg and Ishida is just too angry to let his leg get hurt. And also worth noting, I think Yoshino was in the match for like two minutes. It was a huh. uh, it was an easy night for Yoshino, but at this point in his career, especially now that he's escaped a few career-threatening injuries, if he doesn't bump on these Kobe Slambo Hall shows, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, before we get into this next match, because I realize we've really talked about six of the rookies, but we didn't really talk about this other the last one that much. What are your thoughts on Hio Watanabe going into the rookie league? I like Watanabe. My issue with him is that it seems like he's he I mean he's just the afterthought because mm-hmm. Dragon Daya is positioned in the spot where what he does is going to matter. And then you've got Skywalker, who is the ace of the rookies, if you you know, if you would go that far to say. You've got Yuchi, Ishida, and Yoshioka who are just crushing it right now. You've got Kota Minora, who who knows with this guy, he, he is exciting because he's like a wild card. And then has Watanabe changed between say August of 2016 and now, like he's the one guy that hasn't evolved into whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, next state he needs to get into, because I think that's the exciting thing with these rookies right now is they've all been around for a while with the exception of dragon Daya and, you know, to an extent Coda, but they've all changed really recently. We've all seen them, enter this next stage in their career and then it's it's leopard print and you know yeah he's exciting to watch i still see traces of young shima in this guy but it's clear that he's not going to reach those heights and now it's like you know even if he loses you know because i think the loser of the rookie league is going to have a lot to work for in 2019 and Mm -hmm. they could they could have an exciting you know I've got to be as good as my peers. I've got to be better than them. I've got to work twice as hard as them. But if it's Watanabe, then it's like, yeah, he's just not as good as the rest of them. Like, he's been left behind. Yeah, uh, and the one thing I say that has changed is he has lost a lot of weight. Like, he was really, uh, in about September, he was uh, well over his Brave Gate dream that he wanted, but he's lost weight. And I don't know, it, it like... Watanabe was the guy that I always kind of picked as mine and it, seeing all the other ones and then Watanabe kind of does the same things each match he's gotten better at them but he still does the same things and I just I can't see him winning this tournament but it, I could see him finishing anywhere between fourth and seventh like it just doesn't seem like this is it seems like that the blooms off the rose and I'm just hoping that something happens or like something like some switch gets turned on with him but Going back to this match four, it's just I love what Mochizuki kind of decided to do after he lost he lost the Dreamgate title, you know, and just how this has provided so much life in the promotion. And I never thought I'd be so excited about Mochizuki versus Kaido Ishida face offs like I was for match four. Like it was just great. Like I love this match so much. Totally, and Mochizuki, it's just. It's like he lands on his feet no matter what he's doing. You know, he did the Mochi Fuji stuff for so long. Then he he was Dreamgate champion in 2011. It's maybe the best Dreamgate run of all time. And then he, you know, is in Team Veteran, does some fun stuff there. He ends up in Dia Hearts, which was a great short-lived unit. You know, ends up back in the main event scene. And now has the Mochizuki, Mochizuki Dojo. And 
I don't know how much influence he has behind the scenes. I don't know how much training he's doing with those guys, but I almost feel like it's not a coincidence that since he's kind of taken over uh, being the mentor of these rookies, their matches have gotten so much better and they've all been so much more exciting as characters. Like that, the timeline just, it uh, converges in a way where it doesn't feel like it's a coincidence of like maybe Mochizuki has a lot of say backstage in the direction of these guys' career. And it's positioning these guys in such a way that I think we could see where, let's say Shun Skywalker wins the league. I could see him instantly jumping into a new unit then and, and not being a lost post. Like, and that never happens. Like, remember how long KZ was a lost post? Exactly, Katoka, yeah. Katoka was practically a lost post with the exception of six months of his career. So exactly, yeah. it, it, it's really done something. And that's over. Like, if I'm talking about positive storylines in 2018, we have to talk about Masaki Mochizuki and Mochizuki Dojo and that. But unless you have anything else to add on to match four, I think it's time to get into what, if that was not my match of the night, the next match was. So do you have anything else to say about the Mochizuki versus match, Maximum Tag Match? Now let's talk about my for sure match of the night, match number five. All right, let's get into it. This was the Twin Gate Champion team of Big R Shimizu and Ben K, Big Ben, defeating the Tri-Vanguard team of Yamato and UT in 20 minutes and 7 seconds with Shimizu shot-putting UT very, very hard. <laughs> I'll go ahead and start this one uh, just because this match made me really happy because I don't feel like we typically get these kinds of matches at Sambo Hall shows anymore. When I was uh, just starting to follow the company 2013, 14, 15, and even into 16 because there are a few great Sambo Hall shows that year, we always seem to get – like these, these shows were worth watching because you get one great match, whether it be the semi-main event or the main event – then the undercard stuff worked out. And for a very long time, you know, I've reviewed all of the Cork and Hall shows, the five big shows, plus Champion Gate, whatever else pops up that's here that's notable. And I was, even if not reviewing the Kobe Sambo Hall shows, I was watching them all in 2015, 2016, with the exception of maybe a few matches. I watched everything that made tape. And then 2017, that stopped because these shows became dire and these shows had no life to them and they weren't any fun to watch. This year, they've had their ups and downs, but they ended on a really high note with this match. Big Ben just had to flick UT off of them like he was a a gnat this entire 20-minute match. Like, he was just pesky. And he just put up not the toughest fight, but just the the most relentless fight against two guys that are bigger and stronger and ultimately better than him. But for 20 minutes, I was super entertained with this match. To me, this is a four-star match. I'd call it a great match. I think you, if you're a Dragon Gate fan, I think this match is worth complete 20 minutes of your time. Yeah, and talking about UT is just tremendous in this role. A little bit of credit should go to Yamato because he understood, okay, the storyline here is UT just being relentless, just constantly trying to beat down these guys who both of them realistically are probably twice his weight. And Yamato is like standing back and, and picking his moments in this match. Like it just like these four guys are great. And we always say this about Naruki Doi, but we have to give Yamato credit here too. 
he is one of the great tag team workers, not only in Dragon System history, but the last 20 years. So I love this a great deal. And, you know, with how the Rookie League ends up, I could also see this, again, being a possible twin challenge team. Like, it just feels really good here. Like, Tri Vanguard now is down to three people, but I like these three people so much together. And I was really encouraged by seeing this match. And, you know, it's good that Ben K and Big R got the twin titles back because Big R needed this. Big R needed the focus. He he needs to be the guy who is just kind of like the hulking brute. He's not a number one or a number two right now, or at least as a heel in this character. But having him with Ben K just shows so much confidence. Like, am I reading into this that too much thinking that Big R Shimizu shows like his best self when he's in the ring with Ben K? Because I feel like that's the case. No, I don't think you're reading too far into that at all. I think these two together are a unit the same way that Yamato and Naruki Doi were, the same way that Yamato and BB Hulk have been, uh, the same way that Masato Yoshino and Naruki Doi have been on and off for years and years. It's more than just two guys coming together to be a tag team. These guys truly feel like a team. And it's it's awesome to watch them be champions because even if they're in a unit with Red where I'm still like, eh, you know, I don't know, I could take or leave these guys. I still think the heel unit needs something drastically different. These two together continue to shine super bright. And now, you know, if they're having matches like this on Sambo Hall, then, then more power to them because I think they're just killing it right now. Yeah, it, it's made Sambo Hall shows a lot more interesting. Like, I'm okay with semi-mains of Big Ben versus, like, we could have, like, a Ginky Susumu tag match with them, and I'd be all for it. I, it could be Dragon Kid and Kaido Ishida, and I'd be all for it. Like, there's just a lot of combinations. Like, if they want to really pull something out of the hat, do a Mochi Fuji tag against the two of them. I would love to see that. Like, there's just... I feel like that this was the natural end of the Yama Hulk tile reign, regardless of Hulk's health, because now there's so many new options. And I feel like that it, and I feel like this has kind of been the theme of this episode is it's, it's so much more optimistic days ahead for Dragon Gate than I thought at this point last year. And I thought at this point in May, and this match is kind of a perfect example of it because you only have one of the former big six in this match and he's easily the least important person here. Like, I didn't think I'd be saying that. I mean, it, I still, it still feels kind of weird saying that, but I'm excited about it. And it's tremendous to think that this is the way forward for Dragon Gate. I think, I think you nailed it right there. We're at a point where we're entering a post-Big Six era, and for a long time that was scary, and it didn't feel like the right pieces were in place. But now... We're seeing Shimizu and Ben K step up. I've been sold on Ben K completely since his uh, Dreamgate Challenge versus Mochizuki earlier this year. KZ's in a good spot. Uh, the undercard is being replenished. It looks fun. It looks full. I. It's just hard to to not be. What's the word I'm thinking of? I I'm just happy with the direction Dragon Gate's going. Yeah, and I guess like the one thing that is kind of like the last piece to be kind of put in place is seeing that the crowd are starting to be get behind these guys. And I feel like over 2019, that's going to be the big story is how well these the crowd gets behind your Kaido Ishidas. Like, was this just that they 
like seeing him face off against Mochizuki, or is he someone that can develop his fan base? Because we've already seen it with people like KZ that they can develop fan base for this fourth generation of Dragon Gate talent. So I, I think that's like the next step is saying, okay, who is Shun Skywalker's like fan base? Who is the Kaido Shida fan base? Is UT able to pull a fan base? Because that really, if we're talking about 2019, 2020, and 2021, those are the next steps, at least in my mind. So I'm excited to see how this might happen. And I think as we're constantly going back to it, this this rookie league is going to be a big step in that direction. So I missed the main event of this show. Uh, the main event was KZ, Giki Horiguchi, Susumi Yokosuka, the former Triangle Gate champions, against the maximum team of Naruki Doi, Dragon Kid, and Jason Lee. Uh, Case, I know you watched this match. Do you have a lot of thoughts about it? I really don't. I don't think you missed anything special with this match. Considering the six guys on paper, this was probably the tamest match they could have had. I think the only takeaway is that KZ ended up with a pinfall and that Jason Lee took it. So KZ ends the year on a high note, looks to enter 2019 carrying that momentum, and Jason Lee is the fall post for maximum. Good match, not a great match. I, I really don't think it's worth your time unless you want to finish out the year and be kind of a completist with Dragon Gate. Yeah, and talking about KZ finishing the year on a high note, he didn't take the fall. He hasn't really taken the falls in all the lead-up to the Triangle Gate loss. So, I mean, they've kept him relatively protected. So, I'm really Absolutely. starting to think that... I really am starting to think that he might end up being the Champion Gate challenger. So, there's one more big thing about the show before we start talking about wrap-up in 2018 and 2019. It was announced on the show that MBS, which is a Kansai-based TV network, it's terrestrial TV, this isn't cable, is going to start a new weekly program called Cutting Edge Battle Dragon Gate on January 9th. It is going to be a 30-minute show that is going to air late every Wednesday night, Thursday morning at 2.30 in the morning. So that's interesting. It's Kansai TV, it's not national, but this is the first time I think they've had terrestrial tv since uno dos tres back in the uh, torimon japan days and that's it's kind of they've kind of made a big deal about it but i don't know what the shows are going to be uh case have you heard if they've said what they might be making the show into no i was gonna ask you that uh right now but you answered my question for me i i'm curious to see if this is going to be you know kind of house show matches that don't pop up anywhere if they're just going to show one big match a week or if it's going to be more of a talk show style uh, show, I have no clue. I'd like to see something like Vamanos Amigos come back where it's a mix of clip matches and then in-studio interviews. But I have I have no information on the show other than that it's happening. Yeah, like I, would, I think it'd be cool to see a Vamanos Amigos thing. I could also just see them giving the Dragon Gate Studio programming if they really wanted to as well. It's interesting. Like, since Dragon Gate is Kansai-based, this is something pretty notable that's happening. And since it's not a part of Gaora, I don't know how much we're going to see of it unless you have tape traders to talk to or if you have one of those Japanese TV gimmicks. So it's interesting. Like, they made a pretty big deal of it. So I think that's one thing that we might see because of the new era of ownership versus Okamura because it's... This doesn't sound like something that Okamura would have really ever cared about, to be honest. 
Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels like it is representing kind of the post-Big Six, this new era uh, of Dragon Gate. And I'm excited for it because it's more Dragon Gate content. And if there's one thing I need in my life, my busy life where I just struggle watching the bare minimum Dragon Gate, I definitely need more of it. Well, Case, talking about that, do you want to hear what's coming up this month on the Dragon Gate Network? Because there's a lot of Dragon Gate content coming your way. Well, I would love to. All right, so... They've tweeted this the day of con- of Kobe Sambo Hall. There are going to be seven shows up on the network over the month of January. The first has a Torimon Japan January 2000 show. And if it's the one I think it is, that's a really good uh, Torimon Japan show. So that's... Quickly, it's been neglected, I think, because the launch of the network was so poorly. But you and I have both recently been going back and watching these Torimon shows that they're uploading at the first of the month. And it is really cool seeing Torimon footage in high quality, you know, HD video. Um, Don't sleep on these Torimon uploads. Again, I think we all were soured on it by just the way they've been unveiled and how poorly it was laid out when the network first launched. But these Torimon shows have been a ton of fun to go back and look on, especially now that the footage is so nice. So I would encourage anyone listening to this to check on the first of the month and check out those shows. Yeah, uh, talking about the footage, it's really incredible what they've done because not a lot of people really know, but Japan was shooting in HD back in the 80s and 70s. Yeah, like they they had the capability for it, but they just didn't really evolve past that. And most of the footage that Westerners got, of course, were people taping things off TV. So you had VHS going to DVD, so such poor quality. But seeing them basically put this into 720p is really something special. And then, of course, January 2000, if it's the Vamos Amigos, I think it is. I'm trying to remember exactly. It's a cool one. But it's worth going out of your way. And it's one of the few special reasons why I say, if you think about getting a Dragon Gate Network, it's worth checking out that. The rest of the month, there are the four shows that happened over December, those Affinity episodes are the Triple Shot and Sapporo go up the second, the first Cork and Hall with the Pock title change going up the fourth, the Doi Darts Cork and Hall going up the 18th, and then the Sambo Hall show that we just finished up with those two really fun tag matches going up on the 26th. The other two shows that are going up on Dragon Gate Network over the month of January is the Yokosuka uh, Homecoming show, right? That it was Susumu's homecoming uh, that was from the 17th of this month, going up on the 13th, and then the Dragon Gate Studio 72, which I have been very lax on watching. So, as have I, but there's a uh, I'm gonna forget their Twitter handle right now. There is a Dragon Gate fan that oh shoot, what's his name? Uh, there's someone that's been watching these shows, uh, Future of DG, at Future of DG. They've been keeping track of those Dragon Gate studio shows, mm-hmm. and I believe they seem to be enjoying them. So, Yeah, the, I, I, I've pulled photos from them for, uh, for, for uh, albums for the show. It's a good, it's a really good Twitter account, but yeah, no, it's, and they've moved this one out of the old sanctuary to a theater in Kobe, yes. which is kind of interesting. So, but yeah, seven, seven shows this month. It's a lot of footage and that's on top of the live shows from this month. The, f- the first one's on the 12th and 
and I think Osaka, I believe. I'm just going off the top of my head right that now. That's not right, yeah. And they have three shows that first week, and that's basically all of the winners bracket of the of the rookie league, and including on January 16th, I know this one for certain is the finals, and I believe the third place match, along with the 25th anniversary of Masaki Mochizuki's career, where it goes against Shuji Kondo. In case I'm so stoked for that match, literally insane that this match is happening. I had referenced earlier Mochizuki's 20th anniversary show, which was uh, him challenging for the Dream Gate against Masabi Yoshino. That was awesome to watch. And now five years later, we're getting a match, Mochizuki versus Shuji Kondo, which I never thought we'd get that singles match, let alone on a Dragon Gate proper show and not you know, a joint show, not on a Wrestle 1 show, not on a charity show. A Dragon Gate Cork and Hall show. We're getting Masaki Mochizuki versus Shuji Kondo. Uh, this will be what 14 years since Kondo left the company. The end of 2004 is when he left. Uh, so I guess 15 years. I this is amazing. I'm so so excited for this match. It's so exciting, and it also makes me think about what else we might see because out of the people who are realistic to come back. Just imagine just saying my my personal hope is somehow they manage to get his neck fixed and they get a Taku Awasa return. Like there's just a lot of opportunities that are gonna happen in this series. And starting it off with a certified banger like this is just the sky's the limit for this series. And I imagine they're gonna do some really cool stuff with it going forward. Absolutely. And before I let you go, we, we said we we're going to talk a little bit about 2018 and 2019. And something that we found out yesterday that kind of was leaked, but now is no longer there, is the roster of people who are appearing for Dragon Gate at WrestleMania Weekend case. And there's some interesting names on it and some interesting names that aren't on this list. Yeah, do you, uh, do you want to read down those names really quick? If you, yeah, have, I've got them right here. If you don't, oh, go right ahead. Uh, the names that were leaked were Shun Skywalker, who was actually confirmed this morning, uh, Susumu Yokozuka, Big R Shimizu, and Yamato, um, to go along with the previous, previously announced uh, Masato Yoshino and Eita. No word on current Open the Dream Gate champion Pac yet, although I'm sure we will at least hear from him in the near future about his. Uh, appearance or lack thereof on that show. But so Skywalker, Yokosuka, Big R, Shimizu, and Yamato, as well as Masada Yoshina and Eita. Yeah, and it's interesting about who they have there. I think Shun being there is a big sign for him. It's Shimizu's first time in America as well. Uh, if you're having Yoshino not having Doi, that is something. Like, that's what kind of took me aback immediately was no Naruki Doi on that. Uh, were there any other surprises in your mind when you saw this list? No Doi and no Casey. I thought for sure just with the direction that Casey appears to be going in Japan that they'd want to show him off to an American audience. He's also someone that I don't believe has ever been to America. He has. He has. Was it on an FIP show? He was in the Chikara King of Trios when he was in Mexico. He was on a team with Cheech and Cloudy. That is outstanding. I'm going to have to go back and watch that now. Did not know yeah. that was a thing. This um, is when he still had a shaved head and was wrestling in football jerseys. 
Yes, uh, a.k.a. the peak of his career. Um, yeah, so no KZ I thought was interesting, but I think it's very cool that Shun Skywalker's coming over. Uh, Susumu Yokosuka comes as a big surprise to me, and I've got a feeling Big R is going to kill it because he kind of seems to do that no matter what he's doing now. Yeah, and it's also worth noting that WrestleCon has already announced uh, Daga and Flamita. And they had Bandito, but I don't know if Bandito is going to get pulled from that. So that will be interesting to see. And then, as you mentioned, we'll, we'll, find, we'll find out sooner or later about Pac. Yeah, I think he's playing things very close to the vest right now in America, and I certainly don't blame him. Uh, but on top of that, the uh, Dragon Gate crew was also announced for the Pancakes and Pile Driver show, which is being run by a wrestling revolver which if you follow that kind of family tree is run by Sammy Callahan, who is friends with the Chris brothers who are friends with Desmond Xavier and Zachary Wentz, who are friends with Shima and the strong hearts crew. So there's a lot of factors at play there. Um, Mm -hmm. I would, I love the idea of dragon gate and strong hearts having to share the same locker room at a, an 11 a.m. show in New York where people are eating free pancakes while the wrestling is going on. That's going to be something. Uh, I don't know how that's going to really go because nothing's been announced for Strong Hearts in, in NYC, and I'm kind of assuming at this point that might not happen just because I feel like that everyone's kind of being announced now. But what was announced for, I believe, January 6th is... Akira Tozawa coming to Fight Club Pro in their yes. Cork and Hall debut. And who's also on that showcase? Uh, that is uh, Shima and the OWE crew. Yes. And interest, they've kept them out of the same match, which probably... I don't think there's people that have had as much enmity between each other as Tozawa and Shima does. But it'll be interesting. Uh Tozawa got married this week, which was something that was kind of rumored and whispered about that he was engaged to someone and he got married to someone in uh, Haigo. So good for him. And his contract's up in October. So it'll be an interesting, but him being back in Japan and I think this is his first time in Cork and Hall since he signed. Yeah. Because he did Osaka and Tokyo, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, we don't get the Shima versus Tozawa shoot fight that I was hoping for, uh, where Shima <laughs> would wear his Crazy Max tactical gear to the ring. But uh, I'm sure the Fight Club show pros, if we do see them, because who knows with the way the UK contracts work now, uh, yeah. but hopefully we see those shows because the Tozawa match, which is him and Nico Satomura versus CCK, that looks like fun. And then Shima is having an OWE showcase, which I am all about. Yeah, I'm really stoked for that Tozawa, Mekosad, and Mura tag team against Chris Brooks and Lycos. I think that could be a whole lot of fun, and I hope somehow that show appears somewhere, just because that that match is so unique, and that's kind of the biggest WTF 2018 to 2019 match I can think of, you know? Like, like a WWE contracted talented doing intergender. Like, that's just kind of crazy, like that. Yeah, on that's a show happening. in Cork and Hall, that's not a WWE show. Nothing about it really makes sense, even if you showed that match to me in 
early 2016, but three years later, it's anything is possible. Anything is possible. And those are kind of like the big things that are around the dragon system. Uh, T-Hawk is challenging Ashino, I think January 5th for the uh, Russell One Championship. Yes. Uh, that match, depending on how my schedule works out, I might have more to say about that match uh, in the coming days before it. But if I don't, be sure to check that out. Be sure to check out everything that Strong Hearts is doing in Wrestle 1 because I think it's the best thing going in wrestling right now. And uh, maybe a plug before we get to the plugs, but I encourage everybody to read uh, my article on Voices of Wrestling about Shima, which is called Conquering Territories in the Digital Age, Shima's Case for Wrestler of the Year, which basically tracks Shima from January 2018, where he was working comedy matches on Dragon Gate undercards, um, how he left, how in April... He didn't wrestle a single match for the first time in nearly 10 years. And he ended the year dominating two promotions in Japan, had trips, had successful trips to Mexico, the UK, and America in the same year. And I think when we're looking at, you know, mobilizing the world, mobilizing wrestling, nobody is doing a better job of that than Shima right now. And on top of that, has helped start a, a territory in a country that did not have wrestling before this year. And just got a TV deal in that country. Yeah. Like, There's, that's not I, being Shima's, talked about. Shima's story is, is fascinating, and I hope that more people pay attention to him, to Strong Hearts, and to OWE in 2019. Absolutely, and I'll make sure to have a link to this article in the show notes. I loved it. It's a lot of my interests kind of coming together at once when being kind of the digital media and OWE and Shima and that kind of thing. It, it was really something really worth going out of your way f to read. So folks, check that out from Case. And what else do you have to plug before I let you go? Oh, just uh, just read the Shima article. Let me know what you think. You can uh, tweet me with your thoughts at underscore in your case on Twitter. Uh, be sure to read my monthly Dragon Gate Corgan Hall reviews and retweet those, like those, comment on those. Uh, I'd love uh, hearing from new Dragon Gate fans, old Dragon Gate fans. I think now, especially with Pac back in the fold, I'm seeing a lot more Western interest, and that makes me happy. I'm always happy to help people out with guides or links or whatever they need. So if you listen to this two-hour podcast and you haven't seen Dragon Gate, please let me know. Please let Mike know. We'd be happy to help you out and try to have someone new on board. Oh, absolutely. You have Case's Twitter handle. Again, that's underscore in your case. And my personal Twitter handle is at Fujiheya. I might still have open DMs. So if you have questions about that kind of stuff, feel free to hit me up. And of course, follow the podcast Twitter account at OpenVoiceGate. And if you got a second, please rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. But Case, thank you again for joining us. I had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. All right, guys. Until next time. People have gathered around ideas since the beginning of time. Each successful collaboration pushing innovation forward, building a stronger future. Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have combined decades of experience to create an even better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders. Encircling businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance.